Welcome to I Wish I Knew, a Twitter research podcast. Each episode, you'll hear from different researchers at Twitter as we explore why research matters and celebrate the people and culture surrounding the work. Research is the spark that ignites countless insights, ideas, and solutions. It connects us to the humanity on the platform in deeply empathetic and inspiring ways, and it helps us better serve the public conversation. So we hope you'll join along and tweet us your questions at Twitter Research. Welcome to this episode of I Wish I Knew, a Twitter research podcast. I'm Danny Singh Baring. My pronouns are he and him. I'm wearing a blue shirt and an orange turban. I have a long beard. I am a research lead on Twitter Spaces. And in today's episode, I'm joined by my fellow colleague, Twitter Design's very own, Maya Goldpapson. Hey, y'all. I'm Maya. My pronouns are she, her. I'm wearing this blouse that kind of is feels like pajamas, but looks like professional. And I have a top knot in. And I am the Spaces design lead. In this episode, we're going to be discussing how we're designing and researching in public for Twitter Spaces. A little bit about what Spaces is, the history of it, how we arrived here, what we do differently, things we wish we knew before launching. And also when you guys out there should consider working in public. Before we do that, a little bit more about ourselves. I am a researcher at Twitter, and I am based out of New York City, technically New Jersey. And uh, <laughs> Don't claim New York. <laughs> Maya, who are you? Yeah, again, I'm a product designer here at Twitter. I've been here almost two years. I've been working at tech companies, different social media companies prior to Twitter, and I'm based out in Los Angeles. Why design? What made you become a designer? Well, I, I mean, I never thought that I was a very creative person because I always saw creatives as like legit artists, like fine art, painters, musicians, etc. But I think I had this sort of wake up moment in college where I realized I was a creative person. I did want to sort of express that side of my brain, but I was also very logical. And at the time, UI UX was like an emerging field. And I just got lucky enough to sort of get introduced to it and found my way into it. And I, I think I've always enjoyed solving problems for people. And I've also always been very fascinated by gadgets. My dad and mom are both like gadget queen and kings. There's tons of like electronics and DJ equipment and weird stuff at my house. And I would get into it. And so then, you know, fast forward when the iPhone came out, I was like, something about this is amazing. And I, I sort of connected two and two together about like the fact that Apple had incorporated this beautiful visual design married with UX design into like this new product. And that kind of like helped me get excited about a career in user experience design. What about you? How'd you get into research? Well, I was actually went to school for design and was a designer, user experience designer, jumped from startup to startup back home in LA, and then worked in e-commerce at Guitar Center, and then went to Fox Sports. And you know, our team even won some Emmys doing some design work. So it was kind of neat doing it at that stage. I loved it. And then I went to insurance, farmers insurance headquarters, and they needed help with research, kind of got my feet wet and just absolutely fell in love. It, it blows my mind that you can talk to the people using your product, your features, whatever you're building, listen, find the patterns, share that with the team, build it, and everybody wins. 
Let's jump into the topic today, which is Twitter Spaces. What's Twitter Spaces? Oh my God. Ooh. <laughs> Maya, do you want to give a brief history on what is Twitter Spaces and how we arrived here? Yeah, definitely. And I think it's important probably to set a little bit of context on sort of like the team and the goals and the vision of spaces, because that informed our research strategy, which we're going to get into all of the nitty gritty details of. And it's it's really actually pretty fascinating. But understanding where we came from is helpful to understand why we made the decisions we made with the research plans. So when I joined, there was a small group of folks who were ideating around audio and Twitter and what that could look like. And by the time that I joined Twitter, we had moved into the phase where we needed to craft a core hypothesis around audio and Twitter and why it was important. There was definitely that gut intuition that audio would un unlock a lot. And I think that there had been a lot of ideas and really smart people working on this concept at various times throughout Twitter's history. It just felt like all of the right things were coming together. And there was like this moment to really dive deep and invest in audio. And essentially, there was like a really small group of us, and we created a hypothesis around how audio would help unlock more human or nuanced or empathetic conversations that sometimes are difficult to have on Twitter in a sort of asynchronous 280 character capped format. You know, while tweets are absolutely phenomenal for keeping up with what's happening, there's still like an additional type of conversation that can be had when you're quite literally speaking to one another. And you can hear my voice and I can hear yours and we can converse in that way. So we felt really good about it. We had no idea um, what ultimately we wanted to create out of that. We definitely were interested in synchronous audio. And we also, though, wanted to just at least test our gut intuition that folks on Twitter would be excited to use audio to have conversations. So the first thing that we launched was voice tweets, and that was to learn about how folks would receive or perceive rather audio on Twitter. And people were really excited and they used it immediately. But ultimately we really wanted to like test something and learn before we made big calls on the like overall structure of this product feature. So we launched and we <laughs> did that without enough research. And we quickly learned that while people were really excited about audio on Twitter, we left out a group of people, the deaf and hard of hearing community, because we didn't ship with transcriptions or captions. And that was a really like pivotal moment for the team. And I think all of us were really grounded in that feedback. We were really grateful that we received that feedback from the Twitter community. And we took action pretty much immediately to develop an accessibility effort on developing a transcription and caption, not just this product, the voice tweet product, but like basically all of the other audio work and video work that Twitter would, would do. We also decided after that moment that we would not be releasing any future audio products without having a deep connection to our community of folks who are going to use the, the product. It just didn't sit right with our soul. It didn't sit right with my soul. And I think for myself, I decided to come to Twitter because I was fascinated by the idea of being able to literally talk to the people that you are designing and building for, right? Like you're going to get immediate feedback on Twitter about how people like or hate the work that you've done. And I think that it's important and healthy for technologists like ourselves to be connected to the people that we're building for rather than just force feeding them whatever we think is right. And so the team was like, we all believed in that. And so 
one change that we made was starting our work with a research strategy in place at the same time as our V0 experimentation plans were, were getting into place as well. And so I guess I'll stop there before I like give away all the goods because Danny, I feel like this is kind of when also you joined the team. Yeah, something we did, and this is a research podcast, so it's very important we touch on this, is we did something called building in public. Some of you listening are probably wondering what that is. It was something unique, something we're still learning about, something we're still uh, figuring out. But what we did was we decided that we want to work out loud, be it any of our research findings, any of our data, any concepts and awesome designs that Maya was building out and team that we would throw it out there when it was very, very early on. It was very quick. It was very scrappy. And we did this using a Twitter handle at Twitter Spaces, which everyone should follow, <laughs> and also had a Slack channel going as well for all things feedback, where we can port all of those tweets coming through. I don't know if you remember, because it feels like ages ago, but do you remember why we decided it was important to build in public or test this thing in public, rather? I believe, if I remember, it, it was a combination of we need to build fast and get quick feedback, and also a combination of... Yeah, no, I think that was it. We wanted to learn as fast as possible. Well, we, I mean, yes, we definitely oriented. We were interested in learning quickly, but honestly, the voice tweet experience was what transformed our entire philosophy around developing products. Because we can build fast with or without building out in public, but what we could not do was ensure that we were going to dot all of our I's, cross all of our T's, nor will we completely ever because things change and societal norms change. But the one way that we were we felt more comfortable releasing something that we didn't know much about, it was really important to be like, look, this is an open line of communication for anyone who wants to try out this beta product, this spaces, early spaces experiment to tell us what you think. What have we missed? And so like, that's the reason why we were like, we need to do this out loud. And we want to give some transparency, not only into what we're doing and what we're building, but also who we are and that we're humans behind the product. And we're here to listen to, to what you have to say. Yeah. Yeah. I, I will say, I don't think I've ever shared this with you, Maya, but I remember after our first meeting, I was like, this is nuts. <laughs> this, 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 this is crazy. This has legal implications. This has issues. Like, what, what if we get berated? Oh, my God, this is all bad. And, you know, I, I've been doing designer research, what, over a decade, like 12 years now. And this is something that's never been done before. This is something very unique to our platform, Twitter. It's, it's a place where conversation is happening. We're already having conversations with our customers behind closed doors. Why not put it out in the open? And it was scary. I do want to give a huge, huge shout out to our leadership as well, because I remember when we first met them, they were all for it. And I was like, oh, OK. All right. <laughs> let's do this. So another thing that you were touching on was the communication format, the channel that we use to talk to folks. Yeah. We originally decided that we wanted to focus on marginalized groups, women and people of color. And the reason behind this was that our early research showed that they experienced the most abuse and toxicity when it comes to audio platforms and just social media platforms in general. And our team truly believe that if you can build a ideal customer experience for them, then we could build it for anyone. I think it was a scene at one point we were handpicking people. We're like, oh, I really like this person. We should, we should see how they use spaces and just dropping names in a spreadsheet. I think it was like the first one was 100 people and then we expanded 200 and then 300 and God knows what it's at now. Every time we have one of these 
brilliant ideas. Let's go work out loud. Let's have a specific community we go for. <laughs> then once you start to like create that thing, it's like, oh my goodness, this is difficult. But yes, exactly what you said. I mean, I feel really intimately attached to this problem. And this is why it was like really important for us to get this right was because I've <laughs> I've experienced what it feels like as a black woman to be explicitly sort of left out of the technology that I'm using. And it's it can be sometimes really clear that your experiences were not at all taken into account. And that's primarily because most of the people building the products didn't necessarily look like me or come from the same place that I did. And so we wanted us being based in the Bay Area, we knew that we weren't going to be able to understand the needs of our very diverse Twitter customer group. So we wanted to do our best to incorporate as much of that into the design of like this sort of beta community. And then the other lens that we applied to it, and this sort of came back from the Twitter voice work was our hypothesis, of course, was about using audio to help people connect to one another and have more nuanced and emotion-based conversations. So fast forward to Twitter spaces, we took that same approach where we were looking at the sort of landscape of storytellers and also applying the sort of marginalized people of color, folks in, in the disability community, et cetera, et cetera, like into account and sort of created this like initial group of beta customers that we wanted to learn from first and, and to design, ideally design with. So that leads me to the second question that I had for you, Danny, that you touched on, but like given all of this sort of like context into, you know, who we were designing the beta for and why it was important for us to work out loud, I feel like we should talk about why we chose the Twitter handle versus some of the other options we were evaluating. Absolutely. When you work in research, it moves at a snail's pace. It can be tricky sometimes for all the different methodologies that you can think of. And there's so many different methodologies you can do, but it takes time. We wanted to learn fast and we wanted to learn with a specific group. We chose the handle because we thought it could get the biggest amount of reach. And also it was public. And we use this kind of as like our community hub. And we still do till this day at Twitter Spaces. Make sure to follow. And this is your one-stop shop to find out all the different updates that are coming out, what we're working on right now, notable hosts even. We wind up-level folks in the community that were taking, that were doing wonderful spaces. And it just makes things much smoother, much faster. Yes, it can get crazy, which Maya and I will get into in a little bit. <laughs> but it, it, it just gave us the opportunity to have that one-on-one -on -one conversation as quick as possible with our customers at a time that fits best for them. I remember the day when we shipped the beta. Whew, what a day. And I mean, immediately it was clear why the Twitter handle was going to just change everything for us. Like yeah. we got feedback instantaneously. It's, it's kind of crazy how it just makes so much sense, right? Like we, we, we do focus groups when it comes to research methodologies and spaces. That, that's essentially a focus group. You have one host and you have... 10 guests with you and let's just talk. Hey guys, what's working? What's not working? And it, it just made complete sense. And man, I'm smiling right now, by the way, just thinking about uh, <laughs> all of it. it. It really is a beautiful thing, but it yeah. wasn't perfect. It wasn't perfect. And we'll talk about that. <laughs> Looking back now, what would we do differently? <laughs> or some of the things you wish you would have known? Oh, that's a, that's a good one. I think not so much things we did differently, but things that we didn't expect were just the amount of overwhelming public feedback. Oh, yeah. And the fact that it's just always on. It, it really is a time commitment. And on top of that, you know, 
there's a lot happening in the world and yeah. people are at home and they're like, hey, we want this, we want that, or hey, this could be much better. And I think us, I speak on behalf of the team, uh, we are very passionate about this. Yeah. We really believe in audio and we wanted to make it happen. So just just how always on it is. And and from a research point of view, the overwhelming amount of public feedback, like how do you make sense of it? You yeah. cannot boil the ocean and just trying to find the patterns. Yeah, it's like I knew that the public volume of feedback was going to be incredible because I think I experienced it with voice tweets. <laughs> but because it was 2020, everyone is at home. People are excited about stuff. And, you know, you get attached. This was like, even though... The, the feature is not ours. It's for the folks that we build it for. You know, you still get, you know, it's our baby. So we want to see how people are like, what do you think about yeah. it? You think my baby's yeah. cute or what, what's happening? <laughs> so, I mean, that you, you're kind of like almost addicted in a way to like keeping up with everything that everyone's saying. But then where does that leave time to actually implement what they're saying? And that was a really important balance. And for me, I feel like the time commitment was a big learning experience, like trying to create solutions and work with engineers rapidly which and you want to get it right i mean i was really overwhelmed i was working a little bit too much so you know we had to create some boundaries but that was definitely something that i think if i were going to do it differently was to really consider sort of the time block structures and how to log off from the feedback and how to like log back on and set that sort of boundary and expectation both internally with the team and externally with the community absolutely so when should a team consider to work and build out loud in public maya what do you think i personally think and again like this is the reason why i joined twitter i want to work at a place that allows me to talk freely about what i'm working on so i personally think if you are going to build product experiences, especially social product experiences, I think that you need to be building in public and to put yourself out there. It comes with some sort of things that you have to take into account. And you definitely have to learn to set some boundaries and all of that. But I think that you should own and feel responsible for the things that you are going to put out into the world. We, we have to hold ourselves accountable to that. Absolutely. I, I think accountability, you hit the nail on the head there. It's, it, it kind of provides like this healthy amount of pressure. Historically in research, you would maybe send out a survey or you would meet with say eight to 10 customers, you know, it'd be Friday over the mm -hmm. weekend, you'll think mm -hmm. of, probably won't think about it. And then Monday morning, put together a report and it just doesn't have that oomph to it. Whereas when you have, you know, a hundred people publicly tweeting you like, hey, <laughs> fix this. <laughs> uh, yeah, It, it kind of lights a fire underneath you where I'll just be, you know, DMing Maya, like, my Maya, we got to fix this. We got to fix yep. this. <laughs> or Remy or our engineer team, like, we really got to fix this. And it's it's a healthy amount of pressure. And it, it, it's much needed. And it just helps things. It just adds that lubrication to the product development cycle, which we know at other companies and even times at Twitter, it can be slower. The momentum that I think that the team gained from receiving those volumes of feedback and being so connected was instrumental to the pace at which we've been able to ship updates to this product. I mean, we've shipped at this point, like at least two dozen improvements and major features into the, into spaces, which is like really unheard of within a time frame of like nine months. I've never seen that happen before. And I really believe it's because we were so connected to our customers and we felt their energy, you know? And I think the engineers, product managers, marketers, 
designers, you know, researchers, all of us, all of us really wanted to like just get to work on it. And I, th- I think that that feeling was really cool. What do you feel like has changed, if anything, after we started working out loud? Because I agree with what you said earlier. Like, this is not something that I saw anyone else doing. It was really unheard of. In fact, like somewhat shunned upon in the tech industry to be so yeah. transparent. Yeah. Do you feel like the industry has changed overall or even within like Twitter design and research? I would hope so. I, I, I think so. Definitely at Twitter design and research. I think it's unlocked so much for research. I mean, we talked about this earlier as well. It's, you know, research can be seen as nerdy. You know, we're usually, you know, <laughs> historically we're seen, you know, behind closed doors, hitting at the library, looking at books, looking up, you know, <laughs> data and, you know, doing our thing. And then we throw reports over the wall and hopefully it makes sense and hopefully action is taken on it. It's a big gamble. But I, I feel like it just brought our customers much closer. And it also kind of scoot the chair closer for our other stakeholders as well, our engineer partners, our product partners, our our marketing folks. Heck, even our CEO, Jack, has joined some of the spaces we were doing research in. Mm-hmm. It's huge for us. A lot of times research is archived or hidden, and then you have to kind of wipe the dust off of it and find it yeah. later and make sense of it. Whereas now you can do it in real time on our own app. How, how nutty is that? Yeah. No, it's so real. Okay, I think we've shared a lot of tea, but before we close out today, I did want us to answer a question that we received from our Twitter research handle. So the question is, how do you handle public feedback and protect your mental health at the same time? Oh, man, that's a, that's a good one. I, can't, I look forward to these answers because I need to know as well. Not... <laughs> And Danny's like, I don't know. I'll I'll let you know when I find it. So boundaries are so important. I definitely went through a phase where I needed help. Like I needed more designers on the team. I needed the okay to slow down, the okay to not be always on and connected. I think that we sort of offered up ourselves up as like, you know, we are your touch point, Twitter community. Like tell us everything that you feel and we were, are going to respond. I mean, we really were responding to every single person all day, every day. This bled into weekends and holidays. That wasn't our team sort of culture. And that also wasn't Twitter culture. None of us felt that that was like an acceptable sort of state to stay within. And so I remember, I think I posted it on my Twitter. I was like, hey, y'all, look, we love y'all. We are absolutely listening. And we might have posted it also from the Twitter Spaces handle. We're like, we're listening. We're here. We're going to take some breaks because we're real people. So we're gonna, we'll are we be back in a week. Or like, we're going to check it like slightly less frequently. Or we're going to send broader updates. And please know that we're listening. And we, we still did try to like answer everyone's questions. But, you know, after months and months and months, we just couldn't scale it. And so I think building in sort of that boundary setting and expectation setting with your customers and internally with the folks who are sort of signing off on what you're doing is really important and can save you a lot of mental strain. Yeah. And our community appreciated it. Everyone did. They did. They were so supportive. It, it, open communication, right? Like it solves all the world's problems. If people just mm-hmm. talk to each other and said, hey, like, not right now, but we're listening, but not right now. And we'll get to you. And we did get to it. That's something I'm very proud of as well. It's been a journey. I'm, it's been I'm a like, journey. My God. That's, it's pretty fun to like think back to, you know, the early days of like a team of, of five folks. And, you know, we've grown like 20 times that size at this point. And I mean, there's still so much left that we are going to do. And I'm still so glad we made the decision to work out loud. And we have that sort of community connection. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right, y'all. Well, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of I Wish I Knew. We covered a lot. We covered the history of spaces and our hypothesis and why it was important for us to sort of work out loud and craft a research strategy that was quite public, literally. We talked about some things that we would do differently and when you should consider working out loud versus more privately. And we touched on a little bit of mental health issues. You can reach me at at Maya G. Patterson on Twitter. And Danny, you want to give them your handle? Yeah, you can reach out to me at at Mr. Underscore Danny Singh. Sorry, I made this account a long time ago. And yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Or you can just join the conversation and tweet us any questions at the at Twitter research handle and we can have them answered in future episodes. We're going to have some new episodes coming soon. So please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss out. Cheers, Danny. I'm going to cheers you with my water bottle. Okay. (laughs) Peace, y'all. Thank you guys so much. Goodbye. (laughs) 